Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, we have a very special guest with us who we're so excited to talk to. That's right. He's the star of Aviation YouTube with 3 million subscribers. He's traveled to over 100 countries on more than 2,000 flights, and he's published four beautiful books featuring his photography. Of course, if you haven't guessed yet, we could only be talking about the one and only Sam Chewy. Sam, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Good to see you both. And you. And you. Um, Tom, I'll let you have the honour of um, grilling our guest first. (laughs) Sure. So um, I I think, um, you know, one of the things I see in aviation a lot is that the people who are working in aviation, they have a passion about it. And clearly you have more passion than most people, I think. But how did your fascination with aviation come about? Where did it start? Well, it started when I was young and uh, I grew and I got the travel bug early. Um, I remember I was um, around 12 years old. I flew on my first Boeing 747. I went to the United States on a big trip. I visited Hawaii, West Coast, East Coast, and and flew about 18 sectors when I was 12. And throughout that two weeks of intensive flying, two weeks visiting LA, San Fran, uh, Washington, DC, Chicago, New York, you name it. And I think that really grew on me and traveling in airplanes and I really like it. And um, and then I also lived in Hong Kong at that time, and we had a very special airport, Kai Tak. And uh, every second landing is a Boeing 747. And every landing, you must do a uh, great angle bank over the city to land. So if you start watching that, it's very easy to grow yourself into aviation and to uh, get that passion and get that uh, aviation blood in your body. Absolutely. I mean, I can just imagine how awesome it must have been, you know, back in the day when it was just 747 after 747 coming in. Um, I think we've all been bitten in the same way. You know, mine was um, standing on the viewing terrace at Heathrow watching the big planes come in and, uh, you know, they're not allowed to do do that anymore. Anyway, I digress. Um, But, you know, so you love flying, you love to travel. Why did you decide to start videoing what you were doing? Well, um, in the late 90s, I was a plane spotter. I was a college student. When I first got my driver license, my first destination out was to the airport. At that time, I uh, studied in Australia. I lived in Sydney. So I drove out to Sydney Airport every day after school or, you know, on my weekends to watch airplanes. And um, I I was a very active plane spotter. And I started um, my own website at that time. It's called samtreephotos.com. it was hosted on Yahoo GeoCities, if anybody remembers that. <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> um, back in the days. And then the airliners.net came, jetphotos.net came, and then we were able to show off our photos. And um, so it started as a plane spotting and uh, fascination about airplane, just looking from outside. And later when I started to work, I started to earn some money, and um, and I started to do more travel. And that really grew in me as well. And I felt, wow, this is excellent. I need to share my experiences. So at that time, there hasn't got any decent camera to make videos. And um, nobody was doing video unless you're big TV stations with big equipment. So at that time, I was uh, I got my first digital camera in 2002. It was a Nikon D100. 
So it was the first DSLR in the world. And um, and then finally, you know, and that's the digital way to come. We don't have to spend money on developing films or or spending a lot of money on uh, taking each clicks. So um, and I, I started to sharing my true report um, on flights. So I will go on a flight to, um, you know, share my photos and put it on my blog at that time, put it on my website. And then that slowly, slowly um, build up a lot of audience that is actually interested. We are getting a lot of emails from people who trade messages with me, say, Sam, um, I really like this true report. And then um, later they encouraged me to, um, you know, say, uh, you go on more special and more special flights. And I, at a time in early 2000s, after 9-11, the whole scene of aviation has changed in commercial aviation. Lots of older airplanes were made to retire to make way with newer, more efficient airplanes. So the 727, the DC-10s, the older 747 were on the way out. So um, I grew up during this time and I made a quest to chase on the rare airplanes. At least I got to fly them once before they retire. And then I made two reports on these flights. Um, and, um, and that's how the uh, passion, how myself seeing as a hobby and also how the audience grew. Um, and then I think only until about 20, late 2015 onward, um, you know, and I, when I have a newer iPhone, I think at that time was iPhone 6, and I started to uh, use the video function and to record more video. Um, and I realized um, the video way is the next big thing to come in around early, uh, mid 2010s. Um, and I start continue. I was continuing all the quest to chase on rare airplanes. Um, you know, in, in early 2000s, I flew on one of the last Concorde supersonic planes. And then I flew on uh, the last DC-10s. I flew on a lot of um, L-1011 Tri-Stars and uh, back 111s, you name it, and all the old one uh, 707s. Um, so, and I realized, would it be crazy, nice to record the engine sound on takeoff? Would be great to... Um, share the audience what a cabin looks like, what a food looks like, what a flight attendants, how they service looks like, because in each airline from different part of the world has different cultures. So, and that's how I started a YouTube channel. Um, although the YouTube channel has the first upload in 2007, there was one upload sitting there dormant for about eight years. Then in 2015, I became um, more engaged, uploading more of my videos, and then they became a hit. And I realized there's people like it and people actually wrote a lot of encouraging comment and asked me to do more. And that really propelled me to start doing this. So uh, I guess I was one of the early guys to uh, started doing airline videos. Hmm. Yeah, I can, I can totally relate with the iPhone comment. I don't take a camera to any of these events now. I'm just with my phone um, snapping away. But you mentioned briefly that um, you flew on one of the last Concorde flights. And, you know, it's something um, I'm a bit too young to have ever done, sadly. But um, what I'm was not, it like on board? I, I didn't get to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, I spoiled your question there, Tom. You did. Um, <laughs> what, what was it like to travel on board Concorde for all of the people who never got the chance? The Concorde is a very special airplane. Um, due to the fast speed traveling at more than twice the speed of sound and um, the narrow metal tube you're traveling inside, you felt a lot of vibration, actually, from if you lean yourself to the wall inside the fuselage when it's going at this fast speed. And you also felt some heat coming out the metal. So it is very different uh, to a conventional airplane travel experiences. The windows are extremely tiny, so, uh, but you can look out to the window and see how fast you're moving. 
if you go to the very end of the concourse and look uh, back to the uh, look back from the uh, window, and you can see the tail of the concourse. And when you travel at fifty-eight thousand feet, you can you can probably imagine the curvature of the Earth is on there because you're traveling. You've been looking down to see a deep blue kind of sky with a bit more round view. So that's the curvature, I guess. Um, so my flight was New York to London on BA002 on April the 17, 2003. I still remember the, the exact dates. And then I was very fortunate I flew with the chief BA pilots on Concorde at that time. It was Captain Mike Bannister. Um, and, uh, and after landing, I was able to visit a cockpit. So I met him and we took a lot of memento photos and he wrote a very nice log for my logbook. And later, um, we found someone at British Airways able to get him signed and mail me a special uh, flight certificate to commemorate the event. Um, the flight time was three hours, 18 minutes, New York to London. Um, and we landed on the easterly runway at Heathrow at 09 left. So we kind of flew at a much faster approach speed over the Windsor Castle. And it was a very sunny day. Um, so I think the Concorde do have more priority to come to land as the approach speeds faster. They need to clear off the other traffic to make the Concorde land first. So we felt we are very specially treated the whole flight through. Um, there were only 54 passengers at that time. So um, the second rear cabin wasn't very full. So I was able to enjoy it. Um, six months later, they terminated service. So every flight was full at that time. What an amazing experience. And I mean, that alone should have shot you to YouTube stardom, really, in my opinion, anyway. Um, but, you know, I did have a look at your channel um, recently. And just, you know, the first thing I saw was your ultra long haul flight with Air New Zealand. Um, I think that's got around a million views, but it was only uploaded a couple of days ago. But let's just put this in perspective, because um, your most popular videos are Boeing Business Jet, 33 million views, Emirates First Class, 41 million, and your very top video, if I've not missed something, is a private Boeing 787 that got 68 million views. I mean, that's a lot of people. Do you ever look at your stats and just think, wow, you know, we, have you been surprised by the growth that you've seen? Yeah, definitely. I have never uh, imagined these numbers to come. And that number's still growing. Last time, I think somebody told me it was 60 million. Now you just told me 68 million. <laughs> there are still people interested in aviation. Um, and that's fascinating. This many people are interested in travel and aviation. And I'm very fortunate in this position uh, to mass this kind of viewership and uh, a great um, people to motivate me to do better as well. That's yeah. fantastic. No, I mean, it is it's, it is um, really fantastic. And I think even before I was working for Simple Flying, I was watching some of those videos. <laughs> um, clearly, I'm in a couple of those. I mean, I remember even um, spotting myself in the background of, of the British Airways A351. <laughs> so that was really cool. But, um, Tom's claim to fame. That's my <laughs> claim to fame. I was in a fame. video. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like that was, uh, you mentioned that you're on quite a lot of special flights. That was a special flight. But... Um, you know, how many flights do you take per year? Because I see um, when I'm following you, you're uh, in LA one day and then in um, the UAE the next day. And Yeah, on average, I take about 100 flights a year. So that's pretty intensive. You work out 365 days a year. That's about three point something. Uh, every three point some days you go to take a flight. But I think these days I am doing less and less because I am looking for only meaningful flights, only very special flights that is a launch or inaugural or 
there is some special uh, uh, message on this flight, and I will do. I won't go on a a regular travel on a very typical flight between London and Paris, something like that. Yeah. Hmm. So no Ryanair see you? for you then. <laughs> Well, so far, I've, I've successfully avoided Ryanair, not because I avoid them, but because I don't live in Europe and I don't go travel between secondary cities to secondary cities. So some reason, my Ryanair ticket hasn't arrived and I haven't flown Ryanair yet. <laughs> well, next time you're in Europe, give me a shout and we can do like a joint um, video on that because I'm one of their frequent flyers at this point, I'd say. Um, but am I going to see you on the inaugural Lufthansa 787 flight in a couple of weeks? No, in fact, uh, I um, I have uh, uh, to attend a uh, business aviation show. It's called the MBAA in Orlando coming up, and um, then I will uh, have a few other scheduled things. And I I schedule lots of trips based on what I like, what I like to do, and not because there are invites or events driven. There's just like things like I like to go to Nepal. I like to go to the uh, uh, Lukla to see the dangerous airport to fly to the uh, helicopter to the Mount uh, Mount Everest base camp. There are lots of adventures I still like to do. It's still on my bucket list. So I need to at some point to fulfill my own uh, passion and wills to do yeah. things like that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know something that a lot of people are dying to know, and I hope it's all right to ask you this, but do you get paid to do these flights? Are the airlines giving you free upgrades, free tickets to do your reviews um, because you are such a big star? Yeah. So um, I never really clarify that very well. And I'm glad you asked that question. So there are two different distinctions here uh, for uh, lots of people seeing my reviews or seeing my videos saying, Sam, uh, your videos are very positive. But I would argue that just because my videos are positive or I say good thing, it doesn't mean that I get paid by an airline. In fact, if you look at COVID, the industry has lost about, what, $200 billion or $300 billion collectively. Which airline has money to pay me to uh, you know, go on a flight to do something? No, I don't get paid by an airline for an opinion. In fact, um, airline do invite me to go on flights, though. That's the second distinction I want to make is, um, you know, as part of the media or social media, like also yourself, like Joanna and Tom, um, we we go on inaugural flights. We go on launch flights sometimes. I met you in the Etihad on the A350. And then, Tom, you mentioned there might be an inaugural flight on Lufthansa 787, things like that. Uh, I do have a lot of opportunities to get invited to try on flights. But however, I don't get paid to go on a flight, which is different takes. Um, but I think these days, airlines do want to take um, your opinions. They actually invite you to go on a flight. They actually want your honest opinions and how do you feel about the products. And I always have given a pros and cons aspect and I keep it constructively. I never do uh, twist. I never do sensationalist kind of comment because do people do like to do that kind of things to get more hits on YouTube, which is a strategy I under, I also understand. But I think the people, they follow me for a reason is to see my passion, to see how much I'm in love with this industry, that I always love to help out people in this industry. I'll always love to engage people in that. So this is why my video tend to be more positive. But if you watch it carefully, I make constructive opinions. And I think criticism is an art. So you have to make the criticism in the right way and people can get it. Um, and so, so there's also, also the other people saying, Sam, uh, you get famed these days, you're popular, so people treat you better. But I like to argue, yeah, maybe that's right, but we have to appreciate people treat me better. I have to show them they treat me well. And then, but at the same time, if you look at, you go on the same plane, me and Joanna has flown together, the seats are the same. 
The mules are the same. The people around are the same. The galley is the same. The cockpit is the same. So um, I think these days I'm no longer making reviews. These are my personal aviation experience video, you know, and I was able to mask a couple million audience. Now I have the muscle to negotiate with airlines saying, I like to put a GoPro in the cockpit. I like to produce a be better content than most uh, other guys. So um, in return for my audience, in return for their appreciation, I work harder. I try to, um, you know, to negotiate, to get a better content, to get better access. Mm. And um, speaking of criticisms, you know, you've flown a lot of different airlines, you've seen a lot of different things. What are your bugbears with the passenger experience? So what can airlines be doing better? So I think most of the people are heavily focused on the in-flight experience. However, I look at end-to-end. -end. I look at from the beginning moment when you leave your home or even when you're booking your ticket. You know, that should be an end-to-end -end travel experience. The moment you bought your tickets, the communications, the preparations, leaving your home, arrive at the airport and then in the lounge or, you know, at the gates and then go on the flights during the whole flight after landing, the baggage collection, the airport travel time and then get home. So I look at the whole thing instead of just focus from takeoff to landing during the flight. Now, um, I also have been talking about um not only the in-flight experience matters, it's also, if you look at how to rate an airline, good or bad, it's look at how they recover from a situation. There's a lot of situation, one small thing, throw the whole thing out. Um, you know, you have one destructive passenger that the plane has to divert and how the airline gonna handle situation like that. How the airline handling uh, weather situation when weather, um, you know, is, is, is the nature and um, is, is, is a frost majority. So the airline, you know, could not predict things and how they can handle to minimize the disruptions, right? And also um, recently all the manpower issue in COVID and how can the airline handle and recover better than the other airline? And that is a good airline. So I look at the end-to-end -end package experiences, not only just during the flight part, look at the airport experiences before takeoff and landing, plus, the recovery aspect. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's really key because I've had both sides. I've had one airline that's really um, abandoned me when things have gone wrong. And equally, last week, my flight was cancelled from the, the French um, ATC strikes and the, the airline was just like, here's your hotel. We've rebooked you on the 6am flight. And then when I said, you know, I'd rather fly on the 10am flight, they're just like, no problem, we've changed that for you. So, you know, I, I really appreciate that, you know, for... The uh, the random traveler, you know, they're probably not going to come across these these things, but it is really key to see how airlines respond when things do go wrong. Mm. Can't agree more. I mean, there's nothing worse than feeling abandoned by your airline when something does go wrong. Um, so, Sam, we're going to do a quick fire question round just for fun. Um, depending on some of your answers, I might pick up on them after, though, just to explore a bit further. But uh, so we are going to ask you to name something and just try and answer as quickly and shortly as possible. So I'll start. What's your favourite plane? 747. Favourite seat? Window seat. <laughs> favourite airline? When I was young, I was mad about United Airlines. And now when I travel more and more, I love all the th big three in the Middle East, Emirates, Qatar, Etihad. Singapore Air, uh, Cafe Pacific, Korean Air France. And these are the airlines. There's too many, I guess, but <laughs> you know, because I love them all. Very diplomatic answer. 
Uh, was it me? It's me. I think it's you. Yeah. yeah. Favorite airport. <laughs> so I have two favorite airports. One for plane spotting is at Los Angeles, and one for traveling is Singapore. Mm. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that second one. Um, do you have a favorite lounge or the best lounge in the world that you think you've been in? Of course. And uh, being a great uh, lover of French food, that has to go to Air France, the La Première Salon in Paris. Um, what was the best and worst meal you've ever been served on board a flight? Now, I don't remember a bad meal. I have lots of flights that doesn't have a meal. And the best meal will be also on Air France, on La Première in the first class. It was a, a traditional French confit de canard. The, uh, it was a mashed potato on top with uh, the meats of duck at the bottom. And it looks like a very ordinary dish until you try it. And I start to cry. I have tears coming out of <laughs> my eyes. The spice from the meats and everything, it's like a treasure hunt. You found the good parts at the bottom and they, they taste moist. They taste just like a restaurant dish and it's just flavorful. Oh my God, I want to go on Air France now. <laughs> What's the best sleep you've ever had on a plane? What gets your vote for a sleeping seat? I generally sleep quite wild. Um, I think the best one is on Etihad, the A380 of the residence, which you have oh, a, a real bed in the bedroom component. <laughs> and you have a real bed and it's uh, very dark. You, can, uh, you don't have to wear an eye, eye mask to sleep. And um, you sleep very well on a double bed as well. And what is the best service you've ever had from flight attendants? I think it has to be Emirates Airline. The reason is because Emirates has very diverse flight attendants come from, I guess, over 100 countries. So you will always have the luck of the jaw. You don't know who will be uh, serving you, giving you the best service. It could be a girl from South Africa. It could be a girl from uh, you know, Japan. It could be a girl from India. You never know. There's diversity. Mm. Okay, this is an odd one. But what was the weirdest thing that ever happened to you during a flight? I think the, the weirdest thing is I, I have so many weird things. I suffer multiple hours to delay from 13 hours to seeing fires coming out of Lockheed Constellation engine on the, <laughs> uh, on the uh, Lockheed Connie Hars from Australia. But the weirdest thing, I think it was uh, a bomb threat in <gasps> Russia in 2004. Uh, this was just after a week of um, a school massacre in, in Belsen, I think. It was in September 2004, just after a week of the school massacre in, in Belsland. And um, we boarded on a Illusion 86 in Novosibirsk in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., ready to take off to Beijing. Um, and uh, there were two persons after uh, boarded, and they went to the bathroom, and then they told the flight attendant they want to leave the airplane. Um, so a lot of passengers were on high alert seeing what's happening and then they refused to, uh, to, to let the plane depart. And then so everybody has to let off the plane. So, uh, you know, the dogs are coming on, the security guards are coming on to search the plane. Um, so people were very aware of there might be a bomb or some suspicious things planted in the airplane. And uh, after many hours of searching, they finally clear us to go back on the same plane to take off. And at that time, it was already during daybreak, around 6 a.m. And um, I still remember the noise just skyrocketing out of Novo Sibirsk in the morning hours in Siberia, 6 a.m. was unbelievable. It was incredibly noisy on the L86 with the uh, cruiseness of NK8 uh, engine, if I'm not wrong, and uh, NK86 engine. Um, and uh, it was such a, a memorable occasion that 
during the whole four-hour flight, the plane was shook very violently due to a low-weather system over Siberia. Uh, you know, all on my mind was thinking, hopefully the bomb doesn't tick off and explode. Because <laughs> a lot of people were seriously worried, mm. you know, on that flight. And um, because they didn't change a plane after searching, right? They just, uh, re- you know, <laughs> used the same plane to go to China. And uh, so I think that um, that was one of the scariest thing I've ever uh, uh, had. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds it terrifying. Yeah, um, I I wouldn't want to be on that plane. I think myself. Um, so, what was the last flight you took, and how was it? So, I just came back from a big two-week South Pacific trip. I visited four countries. I visited New Zealand. I flew the inaugural from New York to New Zealand, and then I also flew the um, uh, Tahiti airline from Air Tahiti from New Zealand to Tahiti. Then I went to Australia for a few days. Then, lastly, I just came back from Fiji. So I flew on the new Fiji Airways A350 uh, to Los Angeles. So uh, that was my last trip. Wow, very cool. Um, so I'm guessing that you're probably not staying still for very long because I know you're not at home. We're speaking to you. I think you're in LA. Is that right, Sam? I'm at yeah. my mother's house, in fact. Yeah. Oh, I'm okay. I'm spending some time with my mother. Yes. Oh, fantastic. I bet she doesn't get to see enough of you. Um, but I'm sure you've got some more flying planned for the rest of the year. Um, what are your next few trips? What have you got coming up? My next one is actually a very special one. It will go on to one of the weirdest experiences later as well. It will be <laughs> going on a zero G on a Boeing 727 oh, on the yes. of October. So we'll, we'll experience weightless. Uh, weightlessness inside an airplane. We don't have to go travel to the space to do that. So we can do it on the 727, which I'm looking forward to that. That's so cool. That's um, parabolic flight, they call it, isn't it? Where you get sort of 12 seconds of weightlessness. And uh, we wrote about a band that recorded yeah. a video okay, in one go. of their planes, didn't we? OK Go, that was it. They recorded their music video in uh, in one of these parabolic flights. It was very cool. Uh, oh, very jealous. Can't wait to see that video. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop talking. We'll keep, yeah, we'll keep an eye <laughs> out. Um, so I think lastly, to wrap up, you know, um, so many people fascinated in aviation, and I'm sure there's loads of people that look at you on YouTube and think, I want to do that. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to follow in your footsteps? I think these days there are lots and lots of people doing similar things what I'm doing. But most importantly, the two things you need to look at is, uh, is this truly what you want? This is driven by a passion, you know, it's driven by a passion. And the second thing is you need to think about what your audience like. You need to deliver to the benefits of your audience the content they like. So it's not about only what you like. You need to align your interests with your audience. So always think about from how you could share and how you could benefit the audience angle to come back to delivering on your content. Fantastic. Um, I, I could talk to you all night, Sam. It's been fantastic talking to you. And uh, I'm sure you've got so many interesting aviation stories, but maybe we'll have to catch up over a glass of something cold in London one day. Um, or but I think, uh, <laughs> or Frankfurt, yeah, of course. Um, but I think that's probably all we've got time for on the podcast. And um, we do hope you enjoyed this special episode. And as usual, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.